The Water Values Podcast, Session 11. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimson. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Water Values Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You know, last week I talked about how great you've all been, and you went beyond even my wildest expectations since that last podcast. We had three straight days of over 125 downloads. So thank you for listening. And I also want to thank you for commenting and starting the dialogue on the website. It's been great to see that happen. And I also want to thank my guests who have responded to comments on the website. It's really cool that the commenters can dialogue with these great guests that we've had on the podcast on the website. So thank you very much. Let's keep this great momentum going. Please take 20 seconds to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. We received another five-star rating on iTunes this week, so thank you for that. In today's program, Nicole Seltzer, the Executive Director of the Colorado Foundation for Water Education, or CFWE for short, joins us. She discusses the unique nature of the Colorado Foundation for Water Education, the types of educational programming that are, is available uh, through the CFWE, and her thoughts on water education. You're sure to learn a lot about water education by listening to Nicole. So here's the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that thinks water issues are interesting and that public education about water issues is needed. And that includes educating myself about water issues because no one knows everything about water. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Nicole, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Greatly appreciate you taking some time out of your busy day for us. Uh, to start off, Nicole, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in water? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, David, for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, so I am not a Colorado native, which in Colorado water is actually a little odd. <laughs> there are lots of Colorado natives in, in water in this state. Um, I'm an import from Kansas. You're not alone. I'm an import as well. So. Yeah, so normally we, we export a lot of stuff from Colorado, <laughs> but I'm an import from Kansas. Um, so I went to the University of Kansas, and I have an undergraduate degree in environmental studies, which is an interdisciplinary program. So you take a little bit of law, a little bit of science, a little bit of ecology, but a little economics. Um, and so you walk out being sort of, you know, good at lots of little things, but not great at anything, <laughs> I think. <laughs> So, so, and I'm definitely a generalist by trade. And so for after, after school, um, I thought, I sat down and I thought about what really resonated with me and it, it was water issues and watershed health issues. So I went to the University of Vermont and received a graduate degree in water resources planning on the East Coast, which was wonderful. Um, it was great to sort of get out of the Midwest and see a new part of the country and, and learn about the issues over there. And then from there, I spent three years in New York City where I worked for the Environmental Protection Agency, the Region 2 office in New York. Um, I did Superfund community relations work, mm -hmm. and which was great because it really helped me understand, you know, how do you run large public meetings? How do you do media work? Um, and, and it gave me a good background in public relations. Okay. And then we, we moved to Colorado in 2002, and I really wanted to get back to 
you know, back to water issues. And so I basically spent a year just having meetings with people <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying to find a job. And I was very lucky to land a position with the Northern Colorado Water Conservancy District in Berthoud. They manage um, one of the, or the largest transbasin diversion in the state of Colorado. So it brings Colorado River water from Grand County up in the headwaters of Rocky Mountain National Park over to the Front Range. It brings about 300,000 acre feet of water a year over. Um, and they needed some assistance with some large construction and permitting projects that they were working on. So I helped with environmental permitting and community relations around infrastructure projects for about five years. Um, and then I came to the foundation, which has been wonderful. That was in 2007. So it's been seven years being the director of, of a nonprofit. And it's been a big change, but it's been wonderful. Oh, great. Uh, let's expand on that a little bit. Can you tell us a little about the history and mission of the Colorado Foundation for Water Education? Yeah, absolutely. So we are a unique beast. Um, we were modeled after a very similar organization in California, but as far as I know, that's really about it. Um, mm -hmm. And especially in the Western states, there might be something in the Eastern states that I don't know about. But, um, but basically, we were created in 2002 by an act of the state legislature. So it's a little different than, I think, how most nonprofits get started. Um, but there was a large drought in Colorado in 2002, and it was a huge wake-up call for a lot of the utilities around um, customer communications and water supply planning. And there was a real lack of, you know, the ability to be coordinated quickly around communication and education issues. And so out of that drought, you know, there had been a group of people trying to create a, you know, nonpartisan sort of non-positional water education organization that didn't reflect, you know, one set of values over another, but they had been having a hard time doing it sustainably. But after 2002, when, you know, drought really raised water in people's consciousness, the legislature patched, passed a bill that allowed for the creation of this organization and some seed money in the state budget. And so the foundation then was created, and we started with one staff person, <laughs> and we shared an office with, with another organization, and very slowly we have built two. We are currently five staff members. We have two contractors that do you know, quite a bit of work for us as well. Um, we have a budget of about $600,000, and we are plugging away, and our mission is to just educate the citizens of Colorado around water issues in a way that they can make better decisions about water in their lives. So whether it's a homeowner that's looking to make some decisions around, um, you know, the, their landscaping and why they might want to make some changes to landscaping, or whether it's all the way up to a state legislator who needs background on a water bill, we can provide some basic education and information resources for people. Now, as a, as kind of an entity that got its charter, so to speak, from the legislature, does the legislature still control a lot of what goes on in the the foundation? No. Um, so as the way that we're sort of governed is allows us to have some autonomy. We have a really large board of directors. We have about 22 people on our board. And originally when the bylaws were established, each sort of entity in the state of Colorado water, so each interest area, so recreation and education and water quality and conservation and utility management, they all had a seat on our board. 
and then we would fill those seats over time. And then we also had appointed seats where the House and Senate Agriculture Committee chairs both had a seat on our board. The Department of Natural Resources had one seat, and the Colorado Water Conservation Board had two seats, and the Colorado Water Congress, which is a lobbying group um, for water, they had two seats. So we've switched a little bit. We still have all those appointed seats, but we've switched such that um, we now, they're, they're all at large, and so we can be more flexible in who we have on the board. Okay. So we maintain a really good accountability to the state of Colorado by, by through those appointed seats on the board, but we also have a lot of flexibility in who the other people are on the board. And so while the state of Colorado provides a, probably about a third of our funding, we have you know a, a nice amount of autonomy in terms of setting strategic direction and then carrying out our programs. Um, so the, the board really helps me determine you know what direction we're headed, and then it's my job to figure out how we get us there. Got it, got it. Well, could you take us through some of the programs? Uh, you said a $600,000 budget. Uh, what types of programs, publications, and other activities do you engage in to promote water education? Yeah, absolutely. So when we started, we really focused on print publications, and I think we're still best known for our print publications. So we have two sets of those. We have Headwaters Magazine, which comes out three times a year. And in my opinion, I might be a little biased. <laughs> Um, I think that it is the premier you know, professional association magazine in the Western United States. It's very well done. Um, we use freelance journalists for it, and it's it's a high-quality publication, and it covers current issues in Colorado water management. Um, and that goes out to about 10,000 people a year, generally within Colorado, a few outside. And then we also have the Citizen's Guide series, which is a series of desktop reference guides and they are, you know, single subject, about 32 pages, um, and they cover topics like water conservation practices, Colorado water law, Colorado interstate compacts, um, and there, you know, there's nine of those. And so, the, and the publications that are really, you know, what we use, I think, as a, a basis for education in the state, but we've diversified a lot on top of that as well. So we have a lot of areas of just straight-up education in terms of doing tours and conferences and workshops and webinars um, where we do interactive education. Mm -hmm. And then we also have some leadership programs where we will spend, um, we, we select 15 um, mid-career water professionals every year to go through our water leaders program, and we spend eight months with them working on leadership skills, management trainings, executive coaching, and sort of water leadership you know, all, all in the context of water leadership. Um, and then what else? We do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think it all comes down to me. It all comes down to you have to have multiple approaches for water education because not everybody's going to read a 32-page magazine on water. Not everybody's going to pay $100 to go on an all-day tour. Not everybody's going to sit through a webinar over lunch. So you have to have many mechanisms to reach people, and then you have to do them repeatedly again and again and again and again and you over time you will break down some barriers and you will make people understand the value of water in the state but it this is not a quick process this is a very slow process and I think that's partly why the state funding has been so instrumental in in our mission and in you know the impact that we have because without that state funding it's you spend your whole time fundraising Mm -hmm. um, and 
and and having a base of funding that you can count on year in and year out from the state of Colorado has really allowed us to focus more on delivering high quality pro- programs year in and year out and making a dent in people's knowledge about water, you know, rather than constantly being out fundraising. You know, that's interesting about the the availability of state dollars. I know a lot of states have undergone budget cuts, uh, things of that nature. Are you, do you ever have a concern about that funding drying up, Absolutely. so to speak? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, as the downside to being an organization that doesn't lobby and doesn't take positions on issues is that sometimes there are bills in the legislature that have nothing to do with water, but maybe have to do with getting rid of all continuing appropriations, which is what we are. And we're not able to really go out and defend ourselves. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's the difficulty. No, there have, there have, there's never been an attempt, you know, specifically to target the foundation's funding, but we're also very careful about making sure that both state government and the legislature understands the value that we bring to the table. And, and one of the things that as a nonprofit that we can do is really match those state dollars. Um, and so the state gives us, you know, a certain amount of money every year, and we'll bring in about 60% match for that through membership grants, corporate sponsorships, registration fees for events. So we're able to leverage state dollars much more than, you know, like a consultant could, for example. And because this is a long-term investment in the future of Colorado's water, you know, I think so far it's, we, we've had a very good, solid and stable support from the state of Colorado, but it's definitely something, you know, every year you look at the budget and you make sure that the severance tax funds are meeting their targets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, you had mentioned earlier, you know, kind of day programs that you have, you say not everyone can, can spend a hundred bucks to go on a day. But what, what are the day programs that you, um, that you provide to, to members? Yeah. So we, we do a lot of fun one day events. So, a good example, let's see what's the most recent one. We so it last year in January of 2013, we looked at the bottled beverage industry in Colorado. And so we'll generally max those, you know, one day tours out at about 40, 40 some people, um, kind of how many we can fit on one bus. Mm-hmm. And so we spent a day with 40 people and we looked at um, we started at the Nestle plant. Nestle has a bottling facility in Denver. And so we went to the Nestle plant. We talked about source water supply and protection for Nestle. They get that water from Chafee County on the Arkansas River, mm-hmm. and they truck it down to Denver. And so we talked about their operations. We looked at their reverse osmosis system, which, frankly, is amazing. That plant, it's it's very German. It's <laughs> super clean and really beautiful. And, and then we went to a Pepsi facility, and we talked about their water supply, which is different. They don't have their own water rights at Pepsi. They're just an industrial customer of Denver water and then they bring that water into the plant and turn it into soda and then we spent the rest of the day we went to Golden and looked at Miller Coors and looked at their water they have their own water treatment and wastewater treatment plants on site and we looked at their treatment processes and bottling facilities and um, and then we've taken people on tours of agriculture around Colorado we had a dairy tour a couple of years ago where we spent a day looking at dairies in Weld County we visited Laprino Cheese which is the single I believe it's one of the largest mozzarella factories in the world. And it makes a lot of the cheese for Domino's pizzas. And Wis- Wisconsin would be jealous. Right, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's outside of Greeley, and there are a lot of dairies in that area. Um, and so we'll, we spend a day you know, looking at that. Or we do bike tours on the South Platte River through Denver, 
where we'll spend half a day and start at noon and we'll end at four and we'll bike the bike path system along the South Platte River in Denver and we'll stop at several places and talk about stormwater management and water quality issues and urban river health and river access issues through, you know, through a city. And so we really cover a huge array of issues. You know, we're not just water conservation. We're not just water quality. And we try to cover everything that we can. And, and in some ways, you know, there's a benefit to that. And there's also a drawback to that. Because if you, you know, if people are looking to you for, you know, information on water conservation, for example, and you're spending, you know, maybe you're spending 15% of your time on water conservation you know, program areas, there are going to be other organizations that are better at focusing just on water conservation. And so what we do is we make partnerships. So we have partnerships with, I, I can't even tell you, hundreds of organizations throughout Colorado where we, you know, swap information, we will do um, educational programs together, we'll republish some of our articles and work that we've done in their membership magazines. So a lot of our work, you know, we do our own programs, but a lot of the value really comes in creating those partnerships with those organizations that are a little bit more specific and they do lobby on issues, but they're still interested in general education. So we can really provide some value there. Yeah. It's interesting you you bring up cooperation on the education side because that's been a running theme throughout uh, the, the Water Values podcast in terms of uh, John Ensminger talked about the need for cooperation on the Colorado River. Uh, Jack Whitman talked about the need for cooperation amongst users in a, in a watershed. Uh, and even in the one uh, that was uh, recently released with David Zetland, he talks about um, the need, you know, water is a local issue and it needs the local people to all come together and figure out a solution. So it's, that's interesting that, that you bring the need for cooperation up even on the education side. Um, it's it's hugely important, no matter really what aspect of water you're talking about. You know, it used to be, even I mean, even when I got into water issues in Colorado, which you know started in about 2003, 2002. Um, you know, even back then, I've seen an enormous growth in openness and communication, and the willingness to partner up. Um, in, in water, in, in all aspects of water, it's really fund. It is fundamentally changing in, in Colorado, and I, in a lot of ways, I think we're leading the country in some of the the processes that we're using to facilitate that change. So the basin roundtable process, for example, I don't know if you've yeah, let's talked about that. T- talk a little bit about how that process works. Yeah. So in I might get my dates wrong, but I believe it was 2005. The then Governor Owens. Um, worked with Russ George, who was the director of the Department of Natural Resources, and they created, um, it was House Bill 1177, and they created, it created a forum for water supply discussions in the state of Colorado. So it established nine roundtables within each river basin in Colorado. So the South Flat has one, the Arkansas has one, the Colorado has one, the Gunnison has one, the Ampa has one, Southwest has one. And they, their job was to, initially their job was to look at their water supply demands, like their, their future demands as well as their current supplies, and to sit down and really quantify those. Because nobody had taken a holistic view of a basin's you know, current supplies and future needs. And so it took a solid, it, I would say it took a solid five years for them to really start to trust each other 
because mm-hmm. these were these were people who they may live in the same community, but they didn't see things the same way. And to sit them down and basically say, your job is to fi- come to consensus and figure out, you know, what does your current water supply look like and what are your future needs? Not just municipal needs, but what are your agriculture needs and what are your environmental needs? And it's been a difficult process, but it's really set the stage for a lot of very important conversations. And then last year, Governor Hickenlooper issued an executive order for a state water plan. And Colorado is, is frankly, one of the few Western states that does not have a water plan. And so an outgrowth of all of these basin roundtables having, you know, these conversations around water supply since 2005, they're now going to basically codify what they believe the future of their basins are in a state water plan. And so that's going on right now. And draft of that, I believe, is due in January of 2015. So it's, it's been a really interesting process. And I know that there are all, you know, all the other Western states are looking to Colorado and they're, they're waiting to see sort of how this whole thing works. <laughs> so it's kind of a big social experiment in a lot of ways. But but there's a huge role for education in something like that. Um, the foundation, we have a separate, co- you know, outside of the legislative funding that we have, we have a separate contract with the Water Conservation Board to facilitate and help with the education work of the roundtables. And we've been doing that since I think about 2007 or 2008. And, um, you know, the first order of business was to basically help the members of those roundtables, and some of those roundtables have, you know, 50 people on them, to help them understand the issues in their basins. So we did some surveys around, you know, what do you know, what do you don't know, what do you need to know, and then we produced educational packages for them. We produced some learning opportunities for for the members of the roundtables. And then over time, you sort of get past that hump, and they feel pretty knowledgeable about their own basins, and then they start talking to each other, to the other, you know, they're having cross-basin conversations, and they're learning about the issues in other areas of the state and how they're similar or different. And then this focus shifts to, well, how do we involve the the public in this? And and that has been hard. You know, public involvement is difficult, especially when it's a long-term process you know, and it's not something that's lo- necessarily local. You know, it's not a decision that's being made about are we going to put this, you know, dump site over he- over here or are we going to raise, you know, the, this dam height and flood out, you know, this, this bird habitat. It, when you ha- have sort of a long, drawn-out planning process like this, public involvement becomes very difficult. And so a lot of it has just been trying to make sure that there are as many people out there talking about the fact that this is happening <clears throat> Excuse me, and then creating avenues for people to come to the table, so so that they feel comfortable, you know, showing up to the meetings and they feel welcome. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. But I do believe that you know Colorado is really it's kind of a social experiment to see if this works. And and so far, it's borne a lot of fruit. That's great. You know, uh, the Colorado Water Conservation Board seems to have been tireless. They are out there constantly. I've seen James Eckland. He is must have crisscrossed the state countless times uh, speaking about this Colorado uh, water plan. And, and so anyone who, who claims after the plan is, is finalized that they didn't have the opportunity for input, I, I think that's going to fall on deaf ears because he's, he's just been everywhere. Yeah. Um, well, in, in terms of getting that engagement, uh, what have you fo- have found in water education? You know, what works and what doesn't work? Yeah, I, 
I don't think there's any silver bullet. You know, it goes back to my earlier statement of you've got to have multiple mechanisms for reach people. And so you've got to do print. You've got to do, elect, you know, electronic website work. You've got to do radio. You've got to – we don't really have much in, in television. I wish we did, but that's – it's a little cost prohibitive. Um, you know, you've got to do stuff that's on the ground. And then you've got to just keep doing it over and over and over. And you will start to see results. And, mm-hmm. and so I think, you know, the number one lesson for me is make the content interesting and fun. So we have a, a program manager in our office. Her name is Kristen. And I've never met somebody who's been, who's more capable at making learning fun than her. And, you know, it's, I mean, a lot of times you look at our events and it looks like just a really good time. But people walk away and they're just like, oh, my God, I learned this. I learned that. You know, the, probably the best compliment that I had have ever received was probably three years ago. We did a three-day tour of the Colorado River Basin. So we started in, in Colorado. So we started in Rocky Mountain National Park. And we went all the way down to Grand Junction and to the, um, you know, the Palisade area where the orchards and the vineyards are. And we had a woman, a couple women along with us that were sort of Denver area philanthropists. And they had taken an interest in water. They had no, you know, no background in, in natural resource management issues at all. But they had taken an interest in water. They learned about us. And so they decided to just come along, which was awesome, you know, because it was a great opportunity to, to teach some people who, who have some financial resources to help with these issues. And so about halfway through the tour, I was talking to one of the women who lives in Boulder. And I said, so, you know, what do you think? Are are you enjoying yourself? Have you learned anything new? And she said, oh, my God, I will never look at water the same way ever again. She's like, I had no idea it was this complicated. I had no idea this many people were involved. I had no idea that all these institutions and structures and agreements. And she was like, it, this is just amazing. And and I think it's it can be overwhelming for people. So that's the other, you know, other than making it fun and engaging, you also have to make it bite-sized for people because – you know, you could easily sit down and do a half or a full day, you know, symposium just on water law and how it works. But people's eyes are going to start to glaze over about 45 minutes in, <laughs> you know, so you have to figure out how to break the topic down into discrete chunks. And right. and I think that's, that's what's also fun because you could spend a full day learning about just one little part of it. Yeah, I agree with you completely that, that if you if you try and take in the big picture all at once, it's very difficult. You're, you're, I think you're absolutely right. We have to break it down into to bite-sized pieces and, and make it relevant to the, to the local person who is looking at the issues. Yeah, absolutely. What water educational programs have the biggest bang for the buck uh, for the water education issues you're trying to promote? Good question. I mean, I think in some ways you have to capitalize on what people are already talking about, even if they're not necessarily the really the issue. So, so hydraulic fracturing is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's been going on in Colorado throughout the, you know, the country for a long time, but it's sort of just recently within the last few years, it's sort of recently moved into the more suburban areas of Colorado. So the people in Longmont and Greeley and Windsor, you know, they can see it now where they maybe didn't used to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. And with that comes a host of concerns about the impacts to their health and, you know, the local environment and you know, the roads. And so 
you know, there, there's, there are attempts, I think, to capitalize on the public's attention to turn it into a teachable moment. And sometimes people are receptive to that, and sometimes they're not. So, so a good example would be, you know, we, we have a partnership with KGNU Radio out of Boulder where we'll do um, monthly water stories that then get broadcast on lots of other public radio stations throughout the state. And we do call-in shows where we have a radio station on the West Slope in the Carbondale area mm-hmm. and then the one in Boulder. And we basically open up the lines in both those communities and people can call in and ask questions. So we had a forum around Colorado River issues. And we had three or four experts on Colorado River issues you know, talk about sort of what the issues are with the river, the fact that it doesn't reach the sea and what the agreements are that they're working on and you know, like Powell elevations and and then we opened up the phone lines, and 80% of the questions were about fracking. <laughs> and so you just, you know, sometimes you feel like you're banging your head against the wall a little bit because it's like, well, that's, you know, I understand that that's an issue, but that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And, and so in some ways you have to push back against, you know, what is the sort of current, you know, issue of the day and try to widen people's view a little bit. And in other ways, you, you also just need to embrace it. And um, the Center for the American West out of Sea Boulder, Patty Limerick's operation, they have a National Science Foundation grant to look at um, the community perceptions around hydraulic fracturing issues. And so they've been doing open houses all throughout the, you know, sort of Boulder, Larimer, Weld, like northern Colorado area, or, you know, just open community forums on, um, hydraulic fracturing issues and something something like that has been great because they've taken the public's attention and they've hopefully you know widened the scope a little bit and and so you're not just hearing you know the people on the news saying how horrible it is or the industry trying to tell you that everything's okay you know you're getting a forum where there's lots of different nuanced arguments you know mm-hmm. on, on both sides so you know water education takes many many forms and you have to both push against what people think the issue is and you have to embrace it at the same time. Yep. I agree. I agree. It's, uh, it's interesting to, to note your experience on that. Um, you know, Nicole, you started today by talking about the unique character of the foundation. And I'm just curious, uh, you know, water seems to be on the rise in terms of an issue that uh, even, say, the eastern U.S. is starting to deal with. Are you feeling any inquiries about having other states establish a similar type of organization in in those other states? Yeah, I have had some interest. It was funny, I actually just had this conversation last week. Um, There have been a few times when folks from other states have become aware of of what we do. A lot of times it's... um, like government relation folks from corporations that have large regional areas. So Miller Coors, for example, their government affairs person for Colorado is out of Texas, um, but they're a large supporter of ours, and we partner with them on several things. And he has been, you know, he has told me, I tell all, you know, he works in like four states, and he's like, I tell all of the states about you guys and what you do and the fact that we're missing out in all these other states by not having an organization like you. And then I had a similar conversation with a woman from um, Tri-State Generation and Transmission, which is a rural electric provider in several sort of Midwestern and Western states. And she was saying the same thing. I can't believe that other states haven't taken the step to create something like this. And 
I, you know, I, and so then I was like, oh, we should do a road show, you know, with, with <laughs> us and a couple other sort of statewide organizations that work on water policy issues and just go around and sort of educate other states about how Colorado does it. But in some ways, that's maybe a little presumptuous, sort of assuming that they don't know what they're doing. Um, but, but I don't, I don't, you know, I, I do see a lot of feedback from people who work in other states that they wish they had something like the foundation in their states, and and it takes a commitment, you know, it takes a commitment to creating a, a nonprofit organization that has a stable funding source. So we have over five hundred funders in our organization, and you know, every year we're, we're in their budgets. So Denver Water writes us a check every year. Ute Water Conservancy writes us a check every year. Colorado Springs writes us a check. And it takes a commitment on those utilities parts and, and the individuals that support us to say, you know, this is a long-term issue and we have to, we all have to pitch in to do this. And whether, you know, other states can rally themselves around, you know, water education in that way, I, I don't know. You know. In Colorado, we were ready for it with, with the 2002 drought. And, and I think, you know, we were just, we were ready to start doing it and we were having the conversations at a state level and then this was just an outgrowth of that. I don't think that, for example, I could go into Nebraska and, and say, I'm going to create a water education foundation for you. I can't <laughs> do that. I mean, yeah. they have to want it themselves and they have to figure out how it's best going to operate. Maybe it's not a nonprofit. Maybe it's part of the university or maybe it's part of state government. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever the best function is you know, or the best structure <laughs> But I do think having sort of an umbrella organization around water, like water education issues is so valuable um, because, you know, there's lots of communities doing it in their own way. You know, it's towns, towns and cities have their own communication plans, their own education plans. People will do it in their own school systems. But to have an organization that is sort of above all of that and provides professional development training and resources and incentives and money in some cases, you know, to have an organization at the state level that really empowers the local education has been so successful, I think. Yeah, you guys do a great job. Um, well, we are coming up against the time here. Uh, Nicole, could you uh, just tell folks who'd like to find out more about you and the foundation where they can go to, uh, to learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. Our website is yourwatercolorado.org. And we have lots of ways that you can spend five minutes. You know, we can, you can look at flip books of the magazine. You can listen to audio archives of the website. You can come on a half-day tour. And we have a lot of stuff coming up between now and September that will be a lot of fun. So I encourage people to check us out. Nicole, I just wanted to thank you again for your time. It's greatly, uh, greatly appreciate you uh, being here. So thanks so much. Thanks, David. You bet. That was my interview with Nicole Seltzer of the Colorado Foundation for Water Education. And wasn't she great? Nicole, come back anytime. Really enjoyed having you on. So here are my key takeaways from my talk with Nicole. The first is the dedication that the state has provided to the CFWE. Colorado identified water as a key issue after the 2002 drought year and made the commitment to educating its residents about water by founding and funding on an annual basis the CFWE. Even during the Great Recession, that funding was there when states, Colorado included, were cutting budgets. Another key takeaway is that there's no silver bullet, as Nicole put it, for water education. It takes a number of different programs aimed at different learning types and interests. Webinars, conferences, workshops, 
tours, and other elements combined to make up the educational program menu. Keeping those programs fun and bite-sized is also important. Finally, learning how the Basin Roundtable process was established and how it's working was a great takeaway. The Basin Roundtables were formed less than 10 years ago, and as Nicole mentioned, it wasn't necessarily a smooth start. But after a while, the participants started communicating more often and more productively. And the end result is that people have gained a deeper understanding of their watersheds. This is a model approach that I think can be invaluable in promoting water education in other states. Well, as usual, the show notes for this episode are available at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 11. And please let me know what interested you about the interview by leaving a comment on thewatervalues.com or by emailing me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993. Finally, if you've been enjoying the podcast, again, please consider leaving a rating and a review on iTunes and Stitcher and any other podcast directory on which you download the podcast. And don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast and to sign up for the Water Values newsletter, which can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. You've been listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with us.